Amen. Amen. Also, what he, he, he's been gone, so he, well, I'm going to catch him up real quick. Um, I'm inviting all of you on September 13th to dinner. Following the morning service, uh, we, we happen to have in our church the head cook for the elementary school that we rent in Portland. And uh, she has made arrangements and we're, we're going to have a big dinner following the morning worship service. So you'll want to be there starting at 10 o'clock. Um, the school is, is allowing us to use the kitchen and everything. So it's going to be a, quite a goings on. Um, Gil, I want you to bring 40 extra people with you, man. Find the homeless, bring them in, dude. And we're just going to have a great time. How many of you know that's what we should be doing? Yeah, okay. And uh, just remind you that, and it'll also be a Sunday morning where we're going to set some vision into you. Uh, we'll begin, uh, we'll be introducing a series that we're calling Contending. And Contending is going to be a call to bring the church back to prayer. How many of you know that that's a big deal for us, to bring the church back to prayer? And uh, last Sunday morning, uh, God moved on both sides and the south side. Again, we had a call for holiness that I've not seen in a long time. And so um, we're, we're just going after God. As, you, as Brian told you, Tuesday nights are a blowout right now. And uh, I, I am going to be talking to the landlord to see how we can uh, extend <laughs> Because 70, we used to have a hundred and some people crammed in that room, but 70 teenagers is a little bit much. So we're going to need more room. Amen. All right. So if you're a child, you're dismissed. All one, oh, they left already. They've gone. That's cool. Grab your Bibles. Let's go for it. Amen. Colossians chapter one, and uh, we're going to we're going to go we're going to take. Talk about the gospel again. You say, why are we talking about the gospel? Because I'm learning that a lot of us don't understand what we have. Oh, come on. A lot of us don't understand what we have. Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let me just stop there. Can I do a... uh, this is my first of many bunny trails today. Can I go there? All right, come on. Everybody, let's, let's get our summer heads up and uh, get a little oxygen pumping in there. If not, we'll be, Brother Sticker's going to be leading us in jumping jacks. And uh, let me tell you something, he's 80 and he can do it all. So look out. <laughs> Had breakfast with him a while back. He ate, he ate me under the table. I tell you, that guy can go for it. <laughs> but here's the deal. You have a lot more in Christ than you let on. And it says, in giving thanks to the Father. If you know what God has done for you, now this is just a little extra. This won't cost you nothing today. Worship and praise shouldn't be a chore. Oh, let's try that again. If you understand the grace by which you stand in this morning and what God has done for you, then praise is not an issue. Can I just stop for just a moment? Hi, pumpkin. It's, it's Papa. That's all I needed right there. Okay, we can dismiss now because uh, she smiled at me. And 
Let's keep going. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now I want you to jump over to verse 24, 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile. Everybody say hostile. How many of you know what it means to be hostile? Okay, two of you. If you don't know what it means to be hostile, see me later. I'll show you a little hostility. Uh, And you who are once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. You'll notice there, and I'm, I'm... I'm going to go over a little bit of where we were last week. But you notice there, it signifies where your freedom is at. It says, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue, everybody say continue, in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jump over to chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received... Everybody say received. Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now, I, want you, I just want to stop there. And there's two distinct terms that I want to talk to you about right at that juncture. Because last, the last two weeks we've been talking about what the gospel is. And I, and I want to I make sure that, it, that you, you are understanding why we're doing this. I think sometimes we teach and we preach and we don't tell people the why. But in the modern culture and in where we are at right now as a church, getting ready to grow, getting ready, you know, it wasn't a joke. That on Tuesday nights, people are coming in getting saved. It's not a joke to us on the south side that's beginning to happen. On the north side, it's going to happen. But in that process, it just can't be a free-for-all. There has to be an understanding of the gospel and why we're here. Okay? In America, we get things all messed up as to why we're here. But we're here because of the gospel. And Paul here in Colossians 2, 6, we talked to you last week about the reasons for salvation, that God has saved us from something. You were saved from something. You were delivered from something. You've been set free from something. Why is that important to know? I know people that have been quote-unquote Christians for 30 years and have yet to realize they are free from the domain of Satan. They are free from their past. They are free from that which had them in bondage. So we're set free from something and we're transferred into something. We're set free from darkness and its domain, its rule, and its cruelty. And we're released, we're transferred. We're literally picked up and our address changes. Oh, you don't get it. Paul put it this way. Paul would tell us in Philippians chapter 3, he would tell us that we are not citizens of here. We are citizens of heaven. 
So when you are moved from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light and the gospel of His Son, what happens? Your address changes. Your destination changes. Your destiny begins to be fulfilled. You had a purpose. It was tore away from you by sin. And now through Christ... That purpose is there again. And your destiny, your, your address has changed. Now, you know, you'll have to excuse me once in a while. My brain gets old. How many of you know what I mean? Your brain gets old. But I see being raised in church and going through all the changes that church has gone through in the last 50 years, every once in a while, an old, sl- old song will slip into my brain. It happens, Okay. And you got to understand something. The, the last two days my dad was alive, we, in his room, we played. My dad loved, okay, now hang on to this. This is tough for me to say. But my dad liked Southern Gospel Quartet music. For two days, in honor of my dad, we played that until I was ready to commit uh, an offense against myself. I mean, if I heard one more Southern Gospel song, I was going to scream. And yet, here's the deal. It meant something to my father and his generation. So I did that. But there's a, there was an old song my dad used to love to listen to. And he used to sing. And it's this, thanks to Calvary, I don't live here anymore. I think that idea, maybe not the style of song or the words, but that idea has got to get back into the modern day church. Thanks to Calvary, I don't live where I used to live. I have been transferred from darkness into the light. There's been a change in my address. Now Paul says here in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, as you've received, so walk. Did you get that? As you, let, let's read it. We want to make sure that we get this, as you have received, therefore as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Now this is going to be tough for the guys back there, but I'm going to go down my bunny trail. God bless you on the PowerPoint. We'll get to you in a minute, okay? I just don't want them to feel sad back there and neglected because, you know, Steve will go into depression and then we'll have to have a deliverance service for him and then it'll be, yeah, he'll go postal on us. It'll be horrible. So, so I just want to just be cool back there. So how many of you understand? Most of you do not understand. And I, and, and, and I want you to, everybody say, I forgive you, Pastor. Just say it right now. Come on, I want to hear that forgiveness. I forgive you, Pastor. Okay, because I, I, I've learned, by the way, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Walk in my shoes, it's always forgiveness, never permission. And so, so I, I, if you feel sometimes that I'm making it too simple for you, I'm glad. Because some of us listening, and I will teach this on the other side too this morning, some of us think that the world actually understands what we're talking about. They don't have a clue. You can use terminology and they'll go, huh? They know more about the NFL than they do about the Bible. They know more about, about uh, you know, ultimate fighting championships than they do the Bible. They, knew more, they know more about skating. And, you know, these, these skaters, I, I don't do well around skaters simply because, can you see me on wheels? I mean, I want you to just picture that for a moment. It, 
It doesn't, you know, oh, look, what's that hippo doing with heat wheels, you know? It don't work. But here's the deal. You get around to these skater guys, they got their own terminology. Well, unfortunately, the most important grouping of people is the church. And the church has developed its own terminology wherein you have to get the secret code to the club to get in to understand what the snort they're talking about. So when I don't want you to be offended if I try to make things super simple because I want you to repeat what you hear on Sunday. And I want it to be simple enough that the person you're repeating it to can go, I get it. So now, with that said, I'm going to use two very big Christian words. But I'm going to break them down so you understand them, okay? The first one is here, Paul says, as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, there's two steps that take place in your life. One is instantaneous and never has to be repeated again. The other is lifelong and is moment by moment. You ready for this? How many of you know what I mean or you think you know what I mean when I use the term justification? My daughter knows it. Come on, Bob knows it. Bob's back there. He's all writing deep theological notes. And, uh, you know, and Dr. Hodge says, you know, but here's the deal. There, how many of you know the words, have heard the word sanctification? Okay, two big words, both used in church, both misused, abused, and wrongly understood. So we're going to have to understand them in order to understand the rest of Colossians. You ready? So if he's delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of his light, something had to start the process. The process was this. Before the very foundation of the world, the Bible says in Revelation that a lamb was slain. God had in his plan to return us to our natural state. Now, what's our natural state? We were not created, friends, to be sinners. We were created to walk in relationship with Father God. You go back to Genesis 1, they walked together in the garden. God and man had a relationship. They hung out together. The The most absolutely outrageous Scripture is after Adam and Eve have sinned in verse 11, chapter 3, in Genesis, you find God walking through the garden and He was calling out Adam's and Eve's name and He says, Where are you? Now, how many of you know God knew exactly where they were? He was calling out their name and asking them where they were so they would confess up where they were. God knows where you are. He wants you to know if you know where you are. Come on. And that's what scares me about believers. They don't understand where they are. And therefore they live out of their misunderstanding. Well, God sought man. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 15 and 16, we find the prophetic word where he, God says, listen, there's a seed that's going to come and he's going to bruise the serpent's head. The serpent's going to bite his heel, but he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Romans 16.20 says that, that Jesus has crushed Satan under our feet, that he is a defeated foe. So justification begins with this. Justification is the restoration, now listen to this, 
of putting you back in place so you can fulfill your purpose. That's what justification is. Justification deals with guilt. The number one problem in our life is guilt. We feel guilty. We don't understand that emotion today because we've not... When you remove absolutes from a culture, guilt goes away. That's why the devil removes absolutes, by the way. How many of you know what I mean by absolutes? There, how many of you know that if you jump off the building today, you'll hit the pavement? That's an absolute. It's called the law of gravity. Okay? It's an absolute. You say, yeah, but we fly in planes. That breaks the law. Turn the engines off. The law is still there, isn't it? It's still going to work. You're still going to crash. Why? The law of gravity, you, how many of you are thankful it doesn't shut off? Uh-huh. You'd be around Saturn right about now if it didn't. You'd be dead. So the law, that works. So here's the deal. This is how justification works. Jesus Christ dies on the cross, is risen, and is ascended to the right hand of the Father. You have to have all three of those things in place. Now listen to me. In order for your salvation to be complete. Because, you know, and it's funny. One denomination will say, we're about, the, we're, we're about the cross. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. But he's still not there. He's off the cross. Well, we're all about the resurrection. Well, that's good. He, he died and he rose again. But he's not here. You've got to go the whole way. You have to go that He is seated this morning at the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says He ever lives, He constantly is living, He is alive to make intercession for you and us. That means He's praying for you, Gil. Jesus this morning is praying for you. He's praying for Brother Stricker. He's praying for Brian. He's praying for Bob. He's, he's praying... Pray for Ellie. Ellie, don't, don't spank her. No, um, He's praying for Ellie. It reminds me of the little guy that been cutting up in church and the mom was yanking him out the side door and he yelled out, please, somebody pray. And uh, (laughs) justification can only happen through the cross. And this is where we were last week. Your salvation, and I want you to get this in your minds, your salvation is not based on your faith. What? I thought I had to have faith. No, it's not based on your faith. If it was based on your, your faith, then there's no need for the cross. But salvation is based on what Jesus did on the cross. Your faith, as we taught you last week, is opening your empty hands and receiving what Jesus has done on the cross. Now, here's the deal about justification, and you can argue with me about this point. I don't care. I'm pretty bullheaded, and I'll hang in there with myself. But here's the deal. Justification only happens once. You cannot be more or less justified. That'd be like, well, I'm sort of a Christian. I'm all, I'm, are you a Christian? Well, kind of. No, no, no. That's an impossibility. You either are or you're not. Okay? 
So when you ask Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus by lifting up those empty hands of faith and saying, Lord, I receive you as my Savior, the Bible says that you are justified. Guilt has been taken care of on the cross. And at that moment, another process begins. It's that big word called sanctification. And sanctification has to do with the new relationship you have with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what happens when you don't understand, as a people, those two terms. You'll find churches that are hung up on whether or not you ever sin or not. Well, how dumb. Of course you sin. How many of your heart is beating? Check that thing. Take your pulse, please. Real carefully. You, if your pulse is working, you have the ability to sin. So why would Jesus come, save you, and the first moment you, you sin, say, that's it, I'm done with you. Does that make sense to anybody? No. Justification happens. You're justified for the past. Okay? That's why Hebrews talks about there can't be another sacrifice laid. Once that sacrifice is taken care of, it's done. There's not going to be any more sacrifices. There's not going to be any, Jesus is not going to die again and again and again and again. He died on the cross so that you can be just as if you had never sinned. He puts you back in the place where you can begin to go after your purpose in life. You ready for this? Now, sanctification, however, has to do with a moment-by-moment relationship with God. And I want to open this up to your minds this morning. Because fruitfulness, success, hinges on whether or not you understand this principle. Okay? Are you ready to go for it? How many of you are ready to go for it? How many of you are at least curious in your agreement, disagreement, or wondering, where is he going? Because I want you, you know what? I don't, let, let me, everybody look up here. Stevie rule number one, don't come to church to agree with me. If you agree with everything you hear preached in this pulpit, you're sorry. Come on. I have, never, I have never asked people to agree or to believe everything that I'm saying. I want you to take your Bible, go home, be a Berean, and check it out yourself. Get before God and say, is he crazy? Or is it just a bad hair day? What is his problem? You hear what I'm saying? I'm giving you permission. Since we're not a cult, I'm giving you permission... To question. I'm not insecure in what I believe. I, I'm, in fact, I, I'm pretty stubborn. But I'm also teachable. The day I stop learning is the day that we're all in trouble. The day we become unteachable is the day we become unstable. You hearing me? So if you hear something the next couple of weeks, you go, don't get mad. I'll just do it. what I've told congregation. Prove me wrong. 
But don't come with your opinion. Has to be chapter, verse, context, the whole banana. You hear what I'm saying? I believe in thinking believers. I believe in people that are taught to think. One of the things we're trying desperately is to figure out how to make a 20-year-old think. It is, right now it's got me flummoxed because I don't know if I can get a 20-year-old to think. But I'm working on it. I've got all the tubes and the chemicals going in our laboratory over in our offices and we're trying to figure out how can we get a 20-year-old to think. Because it's important that 20-year-olds for us start thinking. Come on. So, we have justification that happens once for us. Now, the problem is, is how we perceive Christians. That's our problem. We've got these rules that say, well, that's a Christian and that's not a Christian. Christianity is not based on my performance. Christianity is based on his performance upon the cross. It's not based on whether I kept the law or didn't keep the law. It's based upon what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. Oh, you don't get it. Some of you think that keeping the commandments is going to give you an in. No. Jesus fulfilled the law. He gave His life on Calvary as a substitute sacrifice for you. And your performance doesn't ring any bells that you don't... Okay, we got scouts here. You don't get any brownie badges in heaven for your performance. It doesn't save you. If it did, you wouldn't need Jesus. The cross is what saves you. You say, what has that got to do with my life? Everything. Because some of you are living in guilt this morning. Some of you are not productive and fruitful as a believer simply because you don't understand the difference between doing justified and your guilt being dealt with and living a sanctified life where moment by moment you're making a decision to either accept Jesus or not. See, I accept Him once as my Savior for eternity. But I accept Him moment by moment as my Savior for living. Because He saved me in the past, but He also wants to save me in the present. And He's preparing me for the salvation of the future, which is the glorification of our body, our soul, and our spirit. But see, if I'm constantly in the past, I'll never be productive in the present. Oh, let, let me help you. Everybody go to Romans chapter 6. Now we're going to get... How many, oh, I don't hear paper. Rustle the paper of your Bibles or I'll go into depression. Romans chapter 6. How many of you like teaching? How many of you want to learn? You see, when I accept Christ, and we're going to be reading from... Uh, I, 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 want you, I, I want you to verse 11 is where we'll, we'll start... Uh, in Romans, actually verse, yeah, verse 11 is fine. When we accept Christ as our Savior, our guilt's gone. And I return to the place I was originally made to be. I return to my original purpose. How many of you know the moment you're conceived, the Bible says that God has thoughts about you his plan is for you. His destiny is for you. See, that's one of the things I don't think we're, we're helping our culture out right now. We've got a culture 
that lives moment by moment but hasn't dealt with its past. The culture, if we teach it right, will understand sanctification. But they won't understand it if we're always living in the past. Oh, do I dare? I dare. Just say, I forgive you, Pastor. Come on. Come on. I don't hear it. Come on. I forgive you, Pastor. Here it goes. Got your toes ready? Here it comes. A church that lives in the past will not affect the present and will not be alive in the future. Uh Oh, let me say that again. A church that lives in the past will not affect the present and will not be alive in the future. I don't have to worry about my past. So what do you mean? The minute I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life, everything from that point back was taken care of. Everything from that point forward was taken care of. You go, so it doesn't matter how I live? Oh yeah, it does. Hang on. Some of you, see, the reason we ask questions like that is because we're all rule breakers. <laughs> Cracks me up when I watch these people. Well, we got, we got rules. Good. They were made to be broken. That's the human that's the human brain. Come on. Don't tell me that it's not. I know some of you this morning you drove right past that 35 mile an hour sign and you went just to see. Come on. I know. I know what goes on. So here's the deal. Justification takes care of my past, my present. When I accept Christ. I come into a new relationship with God the Son. When I accept Christ, I enter into a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because it's got to be the full meal deal or nothing at all. And what is the base of all this? It's not my faith. It's the cross of Calvary, isn't it? It's the life of Christ. You can never be justified on the basis of your own faith. The base is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Faith is the empty hands. It's not, by the way, faith is not a leap in the dark. I'm just, it's not, I hope it works out. Woo! My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I don't leap in the dark with my faith. I jump around in the light with my faith. Faith comes when the light comes on. You ever try to do anything in the dark, you're going you're gonna to get hurt. You leap around in the dark and you're going to get hurt. A lot of believers leap around in the dark and they get hurt because they're not, that's not faith, friends. That's just leaping. What did you do today? Well, I leaped. Really? That's too bad. You're going to get hurt. Faith is ceasing. Faith happens when we stop calling God a liar. <gasps> I never called God a liar. Oh, yes, you do. I do too. What do you mean? How do we call God a liar? God says, listen, this thing in your life has got... What thing? I don't, I don't have a problem. God says, oh, no, no, that... Remember, we talked about 1 John chapter 1 last week. If you say you have no sin, you lie and the truth is not in you. Me have an issue. Oh, come on, God. You know, it's just a little thing. It's just not a big... 
Faith is saying, God, you are absolutely 100% truthful about everything that comes out of your mouth, God. Your word is total truth. What you speak is right. What you speak, I agree with. And the minute you begin to take your life and match it with what God is saying, faith occurs. Follow me? By the way, faith is not faith in faith. I know there's a lot of people teach you to have faith. And they teach a principles. No, I don't believe in that stuff. Faith is this. God, I cannot do this myself. But I, and, so, and I've tried, God, and I've made a mess of things. So here's my empty hands. I believe what you said. I believe you said you are who you are. I believe what you said about yourself. I believe what you said about your son. I believe what you said about the Holy Spirit. And I receive it into my life. I'm going to live the next few moments by what you have said. And by the way, faith in sanctification is a moment-by-moment process, not faith just one time and you're okay for a lifetime. And I'll show you that in just a second. You got Romans 6? You getting anxious to get there? Take it easy. person who is a Christian, by the way, faith is the instrument by which we receive that work of the cross. A person who is a Christian has a right to know that he is saved. You say, what? I honestly think there are some people who have prayed the prayer of faith, asked Jesus into their life, and they still don't know that whether they're saved or not because they don't live like they're saved. They live in guilt. They live in oppression. They live under the domain of darkness. They, they, you know, if the devil sneezes, they're in big trouble. And friends, that's not a believer who knows they've been saved. When you know you've been saved, something inside of you goes, Bring it on, Jack! Because you've God has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom. I'm a son. And you're not going to mess with one of the king's sons. But instead, we don't know we're saved half the time because what's wrong with the devil? He's so <laughs> No, knock it off. You've been justified. Jesus Christ has bought you on Calvary. He paid the price of his life and you no longer have to remain under the domain of Satan unless you want to. What? Is my fault? Yeah. It's your fault. Now let's look at Romans. Romans chapter 6. Verse thir- let's go to verse 11. Oh, verse 10, now, well that's good, we'll start there. For the death he died, he died to sin. By the way, Romans is the key book to understanding salvation. You don't get Romans, you don't understand salvation. So all of my life, my daddy drilled, I had to memorize Romans 6. I still can quote a good portion of it because my dad, my dad, you know, I, how many of you know, we all are, are good excuse people. We, we, so why'd you do that, son? Well, dad, I got to tell you, you know, since you had my brother and sister, it's life's just been cruddy for me. And it's just, I, I just, I just do these things because I feel rejected really. And, um, and he just looked at me and says, you know, Romans 6, 1, son, what does it say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead live any longer therein? He says, you know what that means, boy? Um, I don't got no excuses. Exactly. 
So Romans 6, verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sins once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now look at that. Look at, look at what it says. He, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. What is that? That is a believer who knows he's a believer. He's just said, you know what? I'm dead to sin because I'm alive in Jesus. His death and his resurrection is an ascension has put me in a place where I can say no. Now look at verse 13, verse 12. Let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin, now here it comes, will have no, everybody say no, dominion. That's the same family of words as the word domain. Sin will no longer have dominion over you since you're not under the law, but you are under grace. What he's saying, perform the law all you want and it's not going to help you, but come under grace. And you're going to live, be able to live in a situation where you call the shots. Now, what's, what does it say about yielding your members? Here's the deal. I, I, I pastored on an on a Indian reservation, and one of, the, one of the famous stories that was there, and, and I heard an old guy tell it to me, and I'm sure you've heard it, but explaining to this to, to salvation, the old Indian guy says, you know what? Salvation to me is like two dogs in my heart. One black dog, one white dog. Missionary says, well, what, what dog wins? He says, whichever dog I say sick him to. You see, when I was in sin, I did not have the ability to choose right. When I'm in the domain of the enemy, I, that's, that's why I try to explain to people, you know, some of the kids that come into church on the south side, they look like a train wreck, man. They're messed up and they, their lives are all screwed up. And I mean, they've got habits and drug habits and they're, they're, you know, promiscuity. And some of them have had mental problems and they come in. And, and we used to, we had to deal with this problem where everybody expected them immediately the once the minute they prayed the prayer, you know, to be perfect little children and like church kids. And I, I had to say, excuse me, <laughs> they're lucky to be breathing here. Let's just take it easy for a little bit. See, when they were in sin, though, when they were under the domain of in, the enemy, they were sinners. Okay. The church, doesn't get, the church has gotten so righteous and holy it doesn't get this. Sinners do what sinners do. They sin. <laughs> And they don't have a choice about it. They're slaves. The Bible says they are slaves. And we're going to talk about being set free from slavery in just a moment. But they're slaves. They are in bondage. They have a master that says sin and they dance to the tune that he plays. Whether it's Lady Gaga or whoever it is, man, they're dancing to it. And it's involuntary. You 
See, I've been in the prison systems. I've been in the juvenile system. I've stood in court. I've gotten kids off and I've also gotten kids in. And here's what I've learned. They do what they do because they're not being controlled by God. They're being controlled by the devil. But when they come to Jesus, there's a new wrinkle in the whole deal. You now have a choice. He has set you free to yield to whoever you say sick him to. Problem with the church today, you'll have to be nice. Say, I love you, Pastor. Come on. A little bit lighter, louder. Problem with the church today, they're saying sick them to the wrong dog. They are not yielding themselves as instruments of righteousness, but they're yielding their members to unrighteousness. And then we go, I don't know how that happened. Well... Whatever you feed your mind on, remember we talked about hostility in the mind, whatever your mind is fed on, that's the seed of decisions, and out comes a decision. So I can't feed my mind constantly on the culture and expect my members to be yielded to righteousness. And see, the devil is, everybody thinks the devil is some kind of stupid moron. He's not stupid. He knows if he can get you to... to Make up some rules inside your church and make things that are of no consequence, big consequence. We will forget the weightier things of the work of living in Christ, which is a relationship with Him on a moment by moment basis. But we got lazy, and so what we did is, well, we want everybody to look like this, we want everybody to talk like this, we want our songs to be like this. You know what that was? That was church laziness, because they didn't want to teach people, listen, which whatever dog you say sick them to, that's the one going to win. Yield your members. You have the choice on who you yield yourself to. Now go to Romans 7. It's going to get worse. And I'm just going to keep preaching, so don't worry about the clock. I'm going, to, I'm going to land this plane properly today. Romans 7, verse 4. Oh, it's going to get ugly. So do you understand that sanctification is a moment-by-moment thing? When I, when I ask Jesus into my heart, my past is taken care of. I, I, I now can start fulfilling the purpose that I was created for, which is to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. But how many of you know, we all, we, you, you don't live your life seamless. You don't live your life timeless. You live your life by a series of moments. Yesterday we, were, we went down to uh, Ashley's wedding, and we had pastored in that community Junction City, which is Junction City, Harrisburg, basically the same. These guys came from down there. They've been saved and set free. And <laughs> DJ's dad, who was one of my board members, and his mom still live down there, have a ranch down there. So we drove back into Junction, and I, I, man, I drove out to the old house, drove to the old church. We drove all around. It only takes about five minutes. But you, we drove around town. And it was the Scandinavian festival, so I went downtown and got me a Swedish meat pie. They are still as good as ever. And I'm, we're walking around. I mean, used to be we thought the Scandia festival was a big, huge deal. It's a block and a half. It takes you five minutes to get through it. And uh, a bunch of people in lederhosen, and it's just a real drag. So 
But we're walking through there and we're driving around town and we're looking at things and all. There's the grade school that Katie went to. There's the high school Steph got in trouble at. Yeah. There's where Jen wrecked her car. You know what that all is? It's moments in time. You live your life by moments in time. The next moment you have is largely due to the decision you made at your last moment. (laughs) You hearing me? So sanctification is the process by which when each moment comes, I yield myself to salvation. How does it work? It works the same way as justification works. I can't do it on my own. I have to yield to the cross. I have to yield to the resurrection power. I have to yield to the fact that he's praying for me right now. In fact, the Bible says there's no temptation given to me among men. He says there's nothing that's come your way that I have not provided a way of escape. How do I find the way of escape? By stopping in the moment and lifting up empty hands and saying, I cannot do this, but I choose you. I yield myself to you. Now, that's going to have a lot of impact on the next moment. Because if I haven't learned to yield to that thing in that moment, it's going to come around another moment. In fact, for Israel, it was 40 years of moments. Spies go in, have a moment, they blow it. Forty years later, two guys still left said, we're done with your moments, we're going to have a moment of our own. Moment is very close to being moved, a movement. Come on. I'm ready for the church to have a movement of God where we have a moment that we start yielding and it produces fruit in the next moment and the next moment until years have gone by and the thing has blossomed and grown and produced. Why? It started at a moment. Romans 7. We're going we're gonna to land the plane properly. I'm going to ask you a question. Likewise, my brethren, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Hmm. Wow. So you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. I'm going to make this real plain and I don't want to make it sensual in the sense of being ugly, but I want to make it so you understand something. Because I, 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 there's a method to my madness here. And we're, I know it's a sleepy Sunday, Sunday morning in August and the children are out playing and, you know, it's not September, but we don't have, I, we don't have a, a lot of time because God is God's in a hurry right now. Things in heaven have accelerated. and God's in a hurry and he wants us to understand some basic concepts. The concept of a bride and a bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. We have a bridegroom. It's the Son of God. His name is Jesus. Scripture here in Romans 7, 4 says, you belong to another. Now, I noticed yesterday, and I noticed what, you know, we've got several young married 
couples in our church on the south side just newly married and they're nauseating to watch. It is disgusting. I, I, you know, we have to go, PDA, PDA, please. We've had enough. We know you're married. Knock it off for crying out loud. She'll be there when you get home, dude. Just stop it. You know, I mean, we're constantly, you know, stop. You know, it's like you, you carry around this cold water bottle. You know, stop. What's the deal? They're in love. And they've gotten married. And all the restrictions are gone. And it's okay to be in love. They're a bride and a bridegroom. Now, pretty soon, as that marriage is consummated, and as the time goes by, what's the next thing that's expected out of that union? Children. Jesus put it this way in John 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, then you will bear forth good fruit. Right? Excuse me? Isn't that how it works? So if I belong to another, whose arms do I find myself in? Let me help you. Whose children am I bearing? Mm, Are you hearing it? Because you see, as a believer, I have the choice on who I'm going to give myself to. And I have been betrothed to another. The Holy Spirit, the great wedding coordinator, is constantly at work to keep us in a place where we, through intimate union with Christ, produce good fruit. Have success. But the problem is, many times, the fruit that I produce doesn't look... Oh, how, I want to be delicate how I put this. But friends, as a pastor, I've been in several situations where there's been a pregnancy and the father wasn't the husband. And so the child didn't look like the father. Now that's a raw way of putting this, but it'll get you to understand. How many times does my fruit of my life not look like I've been with the father, but I've been with someone else? See, the church kind of blows it off. Well, you know, we're just, we're just learning to get on. No, no, no. The minute you receive justification, you started a relationship that wasn't just a friendship. I know some of you were raised on what a friend we have in Jesus. Bad theology. We learn to walk with him as a friend, but first and foremost, he's our bridegroom lover. He is the one throughout eternity that we will be betrothed to. We will marry. In fact, there is a ceremony that will take place, friends, that will forever seal us to God throughout eternity. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm planning on being there, not because of what I've done, but because I was justified by the cross. 
And through faith, I receive that gift. But now, the fruit that I produce in my life is totally dependent on whether or not He's the vine and I'm the branch and I'm abiding in Him. The fruit is determined by who I've been with. And there is a term that most believers don't want we're gonna, to... We're, I'm going to leave you with something to chew on this week. There's a term that most believers, and the Holy Spirit has just been drilling this into me as He deals with my life. And here it is. It's called spiritual adultery. We don't want to deal with that term. You know what? The minute we deal with that, revival will come to our church. You know why? Because God doesn't want us to be with other lovers. You need to, I'm a, a student of the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea is all about other lovers. The book of Micah is all about other lovers. And there needs to be an understanding. We have been given to another and we're to bear fruit unto God. That fruit that we bear is totally dependent on who we've yielded to. Who has seduced us? In fact, Paul comes back to the Galatians and he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has seduced you into thinking that what you began in the Spirit you can now continue in the flesh? You see, people that have yielded to that type of thinking now have produced believers after their own kind that when the day of trial comes and it's coming the day of tribulation comes and it's coming friends don't let crazy theology make you think that you're just going to get by without your faith being tried as pure gold in the fire those days are on their way in the united states of america and it's our job to be prophets and priests and kings in the marketplace to raise up a church that says we have our eyes on our lover on our beloved our bridegroom and we are going to produce fruit after Him. And it's not based on what I do or what I don't do. But there was a man named Jesus, the Son of the living God, who gave His life on Calvary. On the third day rose again and and was ascended to heaven and triumphant. And through Him I have victory. I don't get victory on my own. I get victory every time I yield to Him. And the fruit I produce is all I have to lay at His feet. Can you imagine? This hit me so hard early this morning. Can you imagine bringing into the throne room of God illegitimate fruit? I think it's the Word of God for somebody in this place this morning. Illegitimate. You know, we can either be in love with God or we can be in love with church and church things. And I know people that are in love with worship but not in the Christ of the worship. I know people that are in love with church but not the Christ of the church. I know people that are in love with healing but not the Christ of the healing. I know people that are in love with money but not the God of the finance. Come on. And the fruit. Let me tell you something. Jesus said this way. You're going to know them by their fruit. What was he saying? You'll be able to tell who they've been with by what their fruit looks like. Angel, go to the piano. I want you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to pray over you. I want every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Whether you've been a believer five minutes or 50 years, I want your head bowed in this place. It is possible to be a Christian and bring forth the same fruit 
as before we are saved. Do you know that? I can be a believer and bring forth the same rotten fruit that I brought forth before I was saved if I refuse to yield to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me this morning. I want you to hear the Spirit of God. There used to be a song we sang back in our revival days. It was in the arms of love. We're lost in the arms of His love. I wonder this morning whose arms we're in this morning. Who's our lover this morning? God is calling this church. God is calling His church. He's, he's, there's a, a sound going out from the heavenlies into the body of Christ right now. And it's, it's, it's that song of, of, of love that says, I want you to come away with me. I want you to be my loved one. I, I, I want to spend time with you. I want to be intimate with you on a spiritual plane where when you speak, I speak. When you bear fruit, people will know, wow, that you've been with Jesus. And it's a now moment, friends. What you do now, what you do now, what you do now will bear fruit months from now. Decisions you make now will be the fruit of tomorrow. That's how it works. In human terms, there's a nine-month gestation period from conception to birth. What you do now in this moment is yielding to God will bring forth consequences of good fruit. Some of you have wondered why I can't prosper in my life and change. Friends, it's not about you and what you do. It's about who you're living with. It's about who you are spending your time with. You spend time with Jesus, I guarantee you good fruits. You say, well, will that change my prosperity? Yeah, you'll start to understand what's really important. That's what prosperity is about. It's not about the bucks in your pocket, friends. It's about what's truly important to the heart of God. I left the dinner the other night and driving home from that dinner, I turned to my wife and I said, you know what, there are times I just don't feel like I'm saved. Because when I know what people have gone through for the cause of Christ, then I get all fuzzed up about something stupid. And it reminds me of, if I hang out with Jesus, my fruit will be different. I just want to ask you one question. Whose arms have you been in lately? Well, that's kind of a rude question. No, I think it's time we start asking that question in the church. Judgment's going to begin at the house of God, friends. It's just around the corner. It's a coming. The culture is crying out for it. God can no longer, uh, let me tell you something, God can no longer ignore America. He said, well, that's good. No, 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 that's not good. God can no longer ignore 40 million abortions. God can no longer ignore the lifestyle of Sodom and Gomorrah that's taking place in this country. And I'm, and I'm all for winning people to Jesus. And I do, absolutely will not condemn those. But I'm going to tell you something. God, in His judgment and in His righteousness and His love, can no longer let it exist. Now hear me. He can't let it exist in His house. It's not about outside the house, friends. You know what? The house has been so worried about what's going on outside. It's forgot whose they are on the inside of the house. Friends, we are betrothed to the King of Kings. And it's time for us to step up to the plate and start courting Jesus again. Start falling in love with Him. 
this sounds really corny, but when's the last time? It's called devotions, but it's also called when's the last time you and Jesus went on a date? You took time to spend with Him and to talk with Him. Converse with Him. And when you don't, friends, you start giving birth to strange fire, to strange things. God wants to release us in this hour to have fruit that remains. I want my fruit to remain, friends. I don't want to stand before Jesus fruitless. I want my fruit to remain. And that only fruit that will remain is the fruit that comes out of faithfulness to Jesus. I want you just to lift your hands right now and just make say, God, I'm lifting empty hands to you this morning. <laughs> I come in faith and I, I place myself back on your wheel this morning. I place myself in your, your, your place right now, oh God. Jesus, I ask for you to come and to, and to fix me right now. Come on, just do that. I'm going to ask Elizabeth to come and to pray over you this morning and to pray the prayer of faith over you. Elizabeth, come and just close us in prayer. I want our brethren that pray this morning, if you just come, position yourself. If you need prayer this morning, I want you to leave your seat and I want you to come. If there are things where you find this morning that the fruit you've been producing, the moments that you've been going through are not moments. You've not been winning those moments. I want you to know, God wants you to start relying on Him. Brother Stricker, if you come and help us pray, please. And if you need prayer this morning, I want you to come as Elizabeth prays. Come on, and pray. Jesus, we come to You. And Lord, we thank You for Your love. I thank You, God, that You loved us so much, Lord, that You did not leave us. Just like in the book of Ezekiel, You did not leave us, Lord thrown in some field, Lord, covered with dirt and mire. But you you bought us, Lord, and you washed us, and you binded up our wounds, and you clothed us in a garment pure and clean. And Lord, you sing over us, and you speak words of love over us, and you are so jealous for us, O oh God, because your heart is enraptured by us. Oh, God, forgive us, Lord, that what whole time you've been wooing us, oh, God. So often we've turned a deaf ear because of busyness and preoccupation with this life, oh, God. Lord, I repent of that myself, oh, God. For nothing compares to you, oh, Lord. Nothing compares to you. No person on earth, Lord. No thing on this in this earth, God. For you are the lover of my soul, the only one that knows me and loves me and brings me completeness, oh, God. My heart longs for you. God, I come and I ask that your people would feel, Lord Jesus, Lord, the turning of their heart, Lord, to you the turning of their thoughts to you, the turning of their desires to you, and they would choose to yield, oh God. Lord, don't let your people shrink back in fear, for your love is good. Your love is perfect. We have nothing to fear, Lord, in your love. Oh, we embrace you today, Jesus. We want to, Lord, yield to you and bring forth, Lord, the fruit that would bring honor and glory to you and would extend your kingdom. 
penetrate our minds and hearts with the truth of your word today, God. Don't let us walk out of here and forget and escape, Lord, the wooing that your spirit is doing right now. Help us to choose, Lord, every moment to yield to your love. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer, come on. How many of you have learned something today? How many of you want God to just walk with you all week? Well, He's going to, friends. It's up to you in each moment. Now, I want you, if you're not going to get prayer, I want you to love on one another this morning. I want you to take direct time to love on one another right now. Couldn't you do that? Amen.